You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning, beloved people of God. Royal priests, a holy nation, people of God's own possession. Those are the words from Apostle Peter in his first letter. Peter himself quotes them from Exodus 19. The words that God spoke through Moses to Israel. And he's applying them to us as followers of Jesus. So it's an appropriate greeting. And it's a calling out of our identity today. Because over the next two weeks, we'll be looking together at some of the key lessons and insights from this first letter of the Apostle Peter. But before we read scripture today, I want to help us connect with the situation of the people that Peter was writing to. Put up your hand if you're now living as a temporary resident or if, if you've ever done so, here or somewhere else. I can't see all of the hands, but there's sort of a lot of spotlights here. But I know that many of us are not from here. Indians, Ukrainians, Indonesians, many African nationalities, Americans, Brazilians, English, Egyptians, and the list goes on. Sorry if I missed you. There's more than 50, 50 nations represented here, so we're not going to go through all of that. But Alice talked to us in the last two weeks about the beautiful diversity of, of nations in God's world. Quite a number of our native Dutch people have also lived abroad. So how's it been for you living in another country? For most, I imagine there's been the excitement of the new, the exotic, the different, the interesting, many stimulating fresh experiences. Yet underneath or alongside that, there's also for many a sense of dislocation, discomfort. Things are not quite what they should be here, not like home. Especially when the novelty and the tourist experience wears off, the new different rhythm of daily life takes over, cultural norms, values, politics, language, weather, street signs, billboards, TV, they're constant reminders that you are not from here. For those who've arrived here in the Netherlands for the first time, we have words that affirm this. Fremdelingspolitie. Verblijfsvergunning. Inburgering, strangers, foreigners, aliens, who need to be naturalized. We have a different social status from the gewone Nederlander. There is indeed richness and beauty in our cultural diversity. It's a precious part of God's creative exuberance, as we heard also from Alice. But as we read from Peter's letter, I want us to keep this sense of discomfort in mind 
But it's an experience that calls out a reaction in us to fight or to fly. And Peter uses this experience as a powerful metaphor for how God's people experience living in the world and for how we are called to respond to it. He does so in order to help us see and respond rightly to our situation by making sense of our identity and finding purpose and joy in our calling as God's people in God's world. So for our reading today, I've made a selection of passages from 1 Peter that highlight this key theme. It's a long reading, but all the verses will be up on the screen, and you can do your best if you want to, to follow in your own Bibles. Shall we read? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, keep your conduct among the ex-Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow his steps. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father, we've just sung. Lead us in your love to those around us. We hear your word today, your written word. We thank you for your apostle Peter, your faithful servant who lived through these kind of things and spoke them with such confidence for us. Holy Spirit, bring from your written word a word that lives in our hearts today, a word that becomes your work in our life for the good of your world and the glory of your goodness. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. So who's the Apostle Peter writing to? And what's he writing about? In these two weeks, I'm going to be very brief. I'm going to miss a lot of stuff. All of those who read the letter before are going to actually have plenty to say about what I didn't say. And in January, we're going to start a 12-week course on the book of Peter in Growth 3. And love you to join there if you want to know more. But for now, I'm going to cut a lot of corners. Take one big theme. In the first verse, we read that the letter was addressed to believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think the maps will come up behind me. It was a region of rural villages and towns. It was sparsely populated by people of mixed ethnic origins who settled there through a long history of conquests and migrations. Part of the fragile social unity in this diversity was based on the religious toleration of their many different pagan gods and re various religious traditions. It's in this context that we have to understand Peter's central pastoral concern. And it's also all there in the very first verse. To those who are elected, exiled, in the dispersion. He's writing to help his audience make sense of their new Christian identity as people elected by God in light of their present experience of feeling socially alienated. Because they find themselves to be a religious minority scattered in small communities in a predominantly pagan cultural context. In chapters 1 and 2, Peter uses the word sojourners and exiles to address his audience. We might miss it, in our time, but these words were commonly used to describe people with a specific status, resident aliens and temporary residents abroad. Does that sound familiar? These words are applied to people who had limited political, legal, and social status, people whose situation was similar in many ways to what we've just imagined for ourselves. 
but much more restricted in their time. So this was the very real living experience of many of the people in the communities to whom Peter was writing, although probably not all of them. And knowing this, Peter draws on this cultural experience that his audience would have recognized and understood, and he uses it as an illustration of the reality of their spiritual situation that all of them experience. He does this with regard to a very specific kind of undeserved suffering that they were experiencing as, as a direct result of their lifestyle as followers of Jesus. Peter uses the word for suffering 12 times in the short five chapters of his letter, which is more times than any other book in the New Testament. And he's not talking about physical suffering and persecution or material hardship and discomfort. The kind of systematic persecution that we actually know from the Roman Empire only happened after Peter wrote this letter. Neither does Peter emphasize other kinds of personal pain and suffering. Although, of course, Scripture talks to us about that in other places. But when we read carefully in every case, it's a social and cultural kind of suffering of being shamed, reviled, slandered, insulted, and treated unjustly because of their Christian faith, good values, and good behavior. You see, these Christians acknowledged only one true God. And their obedience to Jesus meant they refrained from the sensual excesses of their pluralistic pagan culture around them. So they were viewed with suspicion. Christian moral conduct was seen as antisocial and exclusive. Peter writes this when he says in chapter 4 that they were living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. What? You won't get drunk with us? These new followers of Jesus disturbed and rejected some of the established social and religious norms because of the God that they believed was true. But people around them feared this would bring social disunity. And in a culture that celebrated glory by conquest and power, the idea of a suffering crucified God seemed foolish and backward. So insulting the name of Jesus and his followers is nothing new. When archaeologists were excavating an ancient house from 2nd century Rome, they found some graffiti crudely scratched onto one of the walls. It depicts a man worshipping a figure on a cross with a donkey's head. Underneath is the derogatory inscription, Alexa Menos worships his God. So you see, some of our own experiences of being a misunderstood minority were not unfamiliar to first century believers. The reasons may have changed in our own time, but the consequences are similar. To some extent, our faith is considered quaint, irrelevant, even foolish. And it can result in shaming, insult, and sometimes social rejection. 
Some of us experience this more sharply than others. But it's a reality of our present context for many, if not all of us. And it's into this kind of situation that Peter wrote with deep pastoral concern. And his answer is to speak out and apply the words of Exodus 19, verse 6. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. See, he turns our attention from our experience as exiles and focuses our hearts and our minds and our actions on God's purpose. He wants us to hear and understand that what God's elect people are chosen for is to be a royal priesthood. And it's exactly as this minority of exiled, elected people in God's world that we fulfill His purpose and His plan. So over the next two weeks, I want to look at just two aspects of this royal priesthood that Peter especially draws our attention to. This week, we're going to look at how we are chosen to be royal priests called into service in God's world. And next week, we'll look at how we're chosen to be royal priests called into service with God's people. So what's it mean to say that we are royal priests called into the service of God's world? I want to zoom in on our experience of being exiles in God's world and consider three things that help us to understand how we're supposed to live into that. Firstly, our calling as royal priests. Secondly, our conduct as royal priests. And thirdly, the consequences of being royal priests. What is our role as priests? What do we do as priests? And what should we expect when we live out our role as priests? It's helpful to start with considering what God's word tells us about being a priest. It's a strange old-fashioned word in some senses. So let's start with the definition and then trace through scripture. Priests are a chosen minority set apart by God to bless God on behalf of his world with worship and to bless the world on behalf of God through intercession and service. I'll say it again for you. Priests are a chosen minority set apart by God to bless God on behalf of his world with worship and to bless the world on behalf of God through intercession and service. Right from the beginning in Genesis, we find that it was God's priestly purpose for Adam to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over creation, God's good creation. Further on, we find that part of this meant to work the ground, to delight in the goodness of God's world. And we see that we should bring the best of what God's creation has to offer us back to God as an offering to Him in recognition and thanksgiving of all that goodness. And then when we made a right mess of all that simple goodness, we find that God has planned and worked from the beginning to reestablish all nations under His blessing by working from the few to the many. Starting with his calling of Abraham. By the time we get to Exodus 19, where Peter quotes for us, 
We find Abraham's offspring has become a whole nation. But there's still a minority among the nations. And there at Mount Sinai, God once again reveals himself to his people. And he calls them a nation of priests. A minority called to be a blessing to all peoples. And in Leviticus, we find an even smaller minority of priests who are set apart within that community. Those who've been specially purified to have access to God, to intercede and make offering on behalf of all his people who are separated from him by sin. And you know where this is going. Finally and ultimately, God reveals the fullness of his purpose in Jesus himself, who has come as our great high priest. He's perfectly accomplished and demonstrated all of these things. So Peter takes all of this understanding and he applies it to us. As faithful followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are called to be priests with one another to his world. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As followers of Jesus, we've been chosen by God to participate in his purpose to bless his world by sharing his mercy, love, and grace with his world. In doing this, we do nothing more than imitate and participate in the work of Jesus. Peter sums up what this looks like in two words. Holy conduct. That brings us to our second point. As priests... Our conduct is to be God's holy presence in God's world. In chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, we read, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, because I am holy. We are elected to be set apart in holiness. Children who look like their father and who tend and care for the world as their father does. This is not a call to confront the world from the moral high ground. Nor to withdraw into the comfort of a holy huddle in the church. It's far more humble, practical, courageous, and meaningful work than that. What Peter calls our good conduct in the world is the costly work of being what Jesus calls salt and light. Being a blessing in God's world by allowing the Spirit of God to make us His gracious and loving presence in the world. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 1 Peter 2, 12. We are to be blessings by being a sign of God's goodness. And as priests, we serve the world the way our Lord and Master Jesus has served us. In a word, we share God's costly grace. We live out God's good order and gracious love as a foretaste of how God is healing his world by Christ's wounds in us. Not demanding our rights. Not insisting on our just rewards. But giving what is good and needed by the power of God's spirit in us. Calling out the beloved in others when they are too hurt or bitter or angry or consumed by selfish ambition to do the same for us. We affirm that they too are precious, created in God's own image. The word Peter uses, the words Peter uses are uncomfortable hearing for us. The pride and rebellion that is still in our own hearts. Gentleness and respect, he says. Submit to authority, he says. Be obedient. He says, do not retaliate, bless, and do not curse. Excuse me. Such good conduct is simply living out the truth of God's eternal goodness and gracious presence in his world, even under great ungrateful and hostile circumstances. It's simple. But it is not easy. And that brings us to the last point for today. There are consequences to this kind of good conduct. As priests, the costly consequences will sometimes be alienation in God's world. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, Peter says in chapter 4. It is inevitable that at times such good conduct will be misunderstood, misused, and taken advantage of. And as part of our solidarity with Jesus and our spiritual offering of worship to God, that we endure such unjust suffering. Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Chapter 2, verse 21. And again, chapter 4, he underlines the point. And other places in his letter too. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may re also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But we will only be able to follow Jesus in his pattern of suffering for others when we truly believe that what he did was indeed the ultimate and most beautiful expression of human perfection. That the cross 
is the place where Jesus makes perfect humanity most clearly visible. He himself both dreaded it and saw in it his greatest fullness and joy, the ultimate fulfillment of his human purpose. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12. So when we kneel at the foot of the cross, do we come as pagans who see it as a shameful place of suffering and foolish defeat? Or do we come as true disciples and followers, returning from exile to our true home? Do we come as those who have recognized it as the ultimate expression of human perfection, love, and beauty? Do we come with hearts willing to do likewise in the power of His Spirit? Peter says that when we do this, if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, we are blessed. That's the message he gave to the church in Asia as they struggled with the experience of being a scattered minority in a world ignorant of the one true God. It was the message he learned from living with and listening to Jesus. And this is the message of Jesus through Peter to us, too. The joy of following Jesus as royal priests is not found in the easy comfort of conformity to a misguided world. But it's to be found in the gritty service of bringing a foretaste of God's eternal love and grace into this present world. There is fullness of God's joy and blessing and purpose in that. It's a joy because of the way God calls out the beloved in us. Because it requires us to live out what we are made to be in God's image. One of the most precious things that God has given us in making us in the image of Jesus is the capacity for this kind of costly love. That's what makes it one of the most beautiful marks of our dignity. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Peter tells us to believe it and to bet both our conduct and our joy on it. Because that kind of tested faith in Jesus, as he says in chapter 1, verse 7, is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. And when we do get that just a little bit right, and we bring our wounds of grace to God, His answer, well done, my good and faithful servant, touches and affirms the very heart of who He's made us to be. Because it delights His heart and reflects his heart. And that brings us, even if only for a moment, a taste of his eternal joy. That's what it means to be royal priests called into service in God's world. I know it's not easy. 
I've just been through a week myself where I failed at times to show gentleness and respect in just such circumstances. But I believe Jesus with all my heart that this is a good way for us and that as we keep turning back to Him, His grace and power is at work in us to make us holy. Today we celebrate baptisms and we welcome with great joy two people who have chosen to give their lives to follow Jesus with us and join this people of God's own possession. With them we remember and rejoice also in our own baptism and the precious work of Jesus that He's done on our behalf. And with them we are encouraged today to go out Follow him by bringing the blessing of, to God's world as his royal priests. Shall we pray? Lord, sometimes we hear the word holy, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. And yet, you call us to be holy. You call us to be children of the Father who lives like the Son in His world. And we admit we sometimes don't believe that can be a joy for us. But we know and we trust that your word is truth. And we pray today, call out in us what we sang. Send us in your love to the world around us. And let us discover the joy of being priests in your service for the good purpose that you have made us for. We are thankful. We're thankful for the privilege, thankful for your love, thankful for your example. Help us to go and do likewise. Jesus, we pray this in your name, by the power of your spirit, and for your glory and for our good. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.